0: It's conference season in healthcare IT. Evan and I decided to pause recordings for an episode to focus on listening and participating in ongoing conferences. We wanted to bring you a special re-release of season one, episode 10, Right Team, Right Culture, featuring Marcy Carlton and Tim Holland from the Wilshire team. Both Marcy and Tim will be joining us again soon on the podcast for another episode this season, continuing our conversations on lifelong learning. Enjoy. Hey Daniel, how's it going today? Uh, it's good, Evan. We're uh, experiencing some sort of winter nonsense here in, in the East Coast. I was supposed to go to New York City yesterday. Uh, we got snowed out. How about you? Um, I,
1: I think it's happening everywhere. My aunt was supposed to be coming um, to visit. This is a near holiday episode for everybody uh, for Christmas, and she texted this morning saying, she can't drive to the airport so um, in Colorado, so it sounds like it's kind of Midwest headed in the East Coast. Hopefully, it's not headed to the West Coast, but um, yeah. Well, uh, this is our
0: last episode of season one. It's kind of a little bittersweet. Yeah, it's crazy how far we've come from an idea on a company Shark Tank to 10 episodes now. Uh, so we'll kick off today, right team, right culture. Uh, exciting episode with exciting guests, and uh, be on the lookout in January for new episodes to hit. Uh, We'll start out season two. But let's jump right in to introducing our first guests. So uh, I had the pleasure to introduce our first guest here, uh, 15-plus years in healthcare recruiting experience and a diverse uh, healthcare recruitment background, including physician and nurse recruiting, uh, support staff, accounting, engineering, and IT recruiting. And thank you for joining us, Marcy. our very own from the Wilshire Group.
2: Hi, hey, thanks for having me.
1: All right, I get the pleasure of introducing our second guest, um, who really doesn't, like, like Gretchen Case, does not need an introduction at this point. Um, I think this is episode four for him on uh, our podcast this year. Um, he has 16 years plus in revenue cycle management, focusing primarily in patient access space. Um, he has been a key leader um, of an organization that has implemented more than eight EMRs. He has been an HFMA winning HFMA award-winning um, organization, a former Nayham board member, and leads our people and culture division here alongside Marcy for Wilshire. So welcome, Tim Holland.
3: Thank you, Evan. Thanks for having me again.
0: Yeah, recurring guest. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Makes our lives easy.
0: <laughs> I enjoy it. I get the pleasure of kicking off the, the hot topic segment, and we're gonna ask a question that I think we've asked a few different times before in different ways, but always good to revisit. Um, thinking about culture, work environments. Uh, I know a lot of this was changing pre COVID. COVID also spurred some change, but for you two personally, where have you seen expectations change uh, in that space of of working environment and culture?
3: Well, from my perspective, you know, it, it really kind of happened, I think, you know, COVID and after COVID in terms of how the workforce, the expectations of the workforce change for employers. You have more ability from a technology perspective and just from employment options to be able to work more virtually and to have more flexibility in terms of what your work-life balance looks like, Uh, and that is, you're seeing that become more of a dynamic shift in terms of the employer telling you what the expectation is going to be and the employee saying, this is what I'm going to do if you hire me. Um, And so you have to really make sure you're paying attention to that, especially if you're a smaller organization like Wilshire is. Um, and start trying to relate more to those employee expectations and make it to where it's more of a a draw for that individual to come here. If you want the best talent, you're going to have to make that shift at some point.
1: Hey, Marcy. So thinking of culture in general, right? So in your recruiting world, how do you you help? uh, Like, what should organizations be looking at from a culture perspective? So like getting you know, uh, to assist their recruitment teams um, in in finding the right right fit for the, maybe not just even the organizational culture, but just their individual team cultures?
2: So I think that with culture, it starts with leadership and it works its way down. So it's how the leadership wants the culture to be. And then it's filtered through me of how I want to present it for the organization, for our candidates. And I have to be mindful of, how the candidates are changing um, and how the process is changing. So, you know, we have these different generations coming up, the millennials, the Gen Z, the Gen Y, you know, the the non-Gen, all these generations are coming up and their whole expectation of how recruitment happens is completely different. And they want to actually know what they're going to be doing at Wilshire and how they're going to contribute to Wilshire. So from a recruitment perspective, it's my job to be an advisory to those candidates to kind of give them the whole transparency of what's expected at Wilshire and how their job actually ties into what we do at Wilshire and for that culture as well.
1: How's that changed from your past experience in recruitment? So, you know, trying to we're going to deep dive into wheelchair in a little bit, but trying to think about just in general. So like if I'm a, if I'm a, well, and I currently am right. Like I'm sitting in, in a leadership role for a client right now. And I'm trying to think I'm new to this, new to this culture. My recruiter's been around a while, but my team's kind of in a flux, right? Because they have a new leader and they're not quite sure what that leader's going to culture is going to change or shift to. So how can other healthcare recruiters and then what do like revenue cycle and IT leaders really need to take into consideration for what 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 makes a good culture or what people are out there? And what are you seeing from candidates, uh, you know, around culture? Cause I know a lot of our candidates are coming from organizations or are coming from other consulting firms, but it, it it's primarily from organizations. So just trying to think of like what What's leading them or what are you seeing them sharing that's leading them to start looking?
2: So I would have to say that it's the way that the world is today that has them start looking. So again, it ties back to do they feel like they have a purpose at the organization that they're working for? If they feel like they don't have a purpose, they're going to start doing that quiet quitting and they're going to start looking at other organizations where they can go to where they could possibly fit in. Technology drives a lot of it as well. So if you're working for an organization that's not technology driven, that candidate or that employee is going to feel like they're falling behind. So they want to work for an organization that's technology driven. They want to stay up with the times. They want to be able to, you know, learn what new tools and resources are out there for them to be able to build on their career and to be able to go forward. Hey,
1: Tim, what are you, What you know, as a former leader and you're working side by side with clients right now, what are you seeing that your clients are dealing with in, in regards to, you know, that cultural fit, finding that right person for it? I, I know we're also having to fill some of the, your clients' roles, at, uh, different client roles that we're engaged with right now as well because of that.
3: So I would... Say that it. I mean, in a lot of ways, it's a lot more difficult to not only find the right fit, but to to also retain that particular individual long term. You've got, I mean, in a healthcare role, or even in a revenue cycle role, that's a very specialized uh, type position that that you're really wanting to look and find the right person for. Um, Before, you know, you had a, a surplus of people out there that you can kind of pick from. But you've got a lot more indirect competition with other lines of business and other other types of job opportunities for clients or for people that may not have necessarily been there before technology kind of caught up to this post-COVID world that we're in. Um, So where, you know, you can have a very good job, a six-figure job or something like that um, at a revenue cycle at a hospital, but if you're having to go in five, six days a week, uh, in a patient access world, you're on call because you're managing emergency rooms and and there, there's a high demand and there's not a lot of payoff with the compensation sometimes for that level of demand. You can go to a completely unrelated industry, make very similar money and have half the stress. And so it there, there's a lot more consideration in terms of how you're compensating individuals, how the culture is supporting that particular individual at that organization that's really going to have to drive recruitment going forward.
1: You know, in our last episode, Tim, we we've spent a lot of time in uh, season one, episode eight, um, around career ladders and um, mm-hmm. making sure you know that professional connection. Do you think organizations today, in in thinking about it from a cultural perspective, how if they don't have a career ladder established, is that going to, I mean, does that hinder? or their operational, um, future operational growth and growth of individuals to stay within their culture um, in, in advancement? Or do you think, you know, and Marcy to you, too, to over to you as well, like, does that help you from a recruiting standpoint be able to share like, hey, this is what your career growth could be within an organization in more of a broad sense, not not thinking of our organization, but just kind of
3: broadly out there. I don't think that, You know say if we stick on the healthcare hospital not every department within a hospital has to have a career ladder but the organization and the the department leaders have to show the individual that they are invested in and want to see this individual grow Um, be that within the department be that within you know putting them into a different department helping to invest in that particular person's education it can take on a number of different forms but as long as you are able to show that level of investment and, and really can to some type of agreement with that particular individual or, or the associates that you're managing, um, you'll see better retention, uh, a more positive culture, a more positive environment where people will work in because the employees feel like they're more cared for.
0: Do you feel like some of that personal touch of culture maybe has been lost as we've transitioned to technology, transitioned to remote? I just think about like, pre-COVID, I used to have like a number of projects where I travel and we'd have like the whole whole staff like in person. And I remember in particular client that we have that they had a IT on the second floor and operations on the third and fourth. And so it was fairly easy mm-hmm. uh to get that like face-to-face connection. Um I don't know. I I personally feel like some of that might have been lost in the in the technology drive, but maybe then a newer generation is all for that and they're okay with that. Have you all seen like any any studies or have you had any experiences with that personally?
2: You know, I have to say that I started recruiting remotely back in 2014. And that was like really unheard of, you know, to say that I recruited and I worked from home and I had those bragging rights to a lot of my friends that, you know, I work from home and they all had to go from the office, but it was good training for what happened with the pandemic. And from what I've seen and some of the resources that I've read, it's had these companies reevaluate the FaceTime with their employees. And it's had some of the companies actually say that, you know, I, I don't have much contact with my employees. You know, they might have had an open door policy, but did the employees take advantage of it? Did they actually come and talk with their manager? Where now that we're in this remote world or hybrid world, these managers are being forced which is not a good word to say, but they are being forced to have these one-on-ones with their employees to stay engaged and in touch with their employees because you don't want an employee to be out there working and feel like they're in a silo all by themselves. So it's kind of a a mixed bag of good and bad with the technology. But from a recruitment standpoint, it's a good selling point, you know, when you have these remote positions and then if you can be transparent and say, hey, you know, you're not going to be left alone. You're going to be with a mentor. You're going to be able to talk with your manager. You can always reach out to me. Um, so those types of things, I feel like, have been what the shift is for this whole new recruitment world and this whole new culture world that we are diving into. I
3: would, I would kind of add, I think it's kind of an evolving thing. You know there's always going to be a need or a section of the workforce that's going to have to be on site and so you should you find yourselves in one of those particular positions you're going to have a lot of that face-to-face interaction but as you know employers start you know reviewing what could be done virtually is there a workforce that that has an appetite to do that particular type of work virtually um you know and, and they they start just evaluating what, what the pros and cons are of each i think that you're going to see a, a bit of a mixed bag, like like Marcy said, going forward in terms of just a little bit of everything. Me personally, you know, there there are things I miss from my ops days where I, I had a lot of face to face interactions. Mine was more mentorship um, in in terms of how I would, you know, help individuals grow and move into different positions. And then, quite quite honestly, I still keep in touch with a number of those individuals even today. But there's another side of me that very much appreciates the, the virtual type of work that I do today with my client, because, you know, I I've got kids, I've got a family and and I'm able to spend more time, you know, with them. And I get my social needs met through, you know, not only my family, but my local community and, and, you know, the, the area I live in at large. And, you know, it's just a matter of of what you're looking for as an individual, I think. And if there's a job out there that kind of meets those needs.
0: In some ways I, I also just thinking about like the on-site like being in person versus the remote uh the culture of your workday can also look a little different. I remember uh back when I had to like account for like walking time or like moving between meetings. Um commuting as well. Uh it, like those little spaces really broke up today and sometimes when you're remote full-time it can be a little overwhelming. It's just like back to back to back to back um like I'm always on camera and I've I've that environment sometimes can be a little stressful. uh, And that to me has been one of the big things that I've been transitioning just in the last year to moving remote. It's just like trying to find time in my day to break that up, to break up the stress of just constant meetings, uh, being on camera all the time, Uh, maybe like turning my camera off for a meeting or like taking like I know Evan, you do a good job of this. Sometimes schedule like 50 minute meetings or, or like 45, just to give like a little break in a window there. So that that's like almost cultural in a way for a workplace to say like, we're going to recognize that people maybe need a little bit of time during the day for them, for themselves, the in-between meetings.
3: Yeah. I well, think I'll give they... a little bit of praise to oh, go ahead Evan. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I'll, I'll give a little bit of praise to my current client. Um, they just sent out an email with new uh, meeting guidelines and expectations for the new year um, where you're not allowed to schedule meetings over the lunch hour. Um, there are no meetings to be scheduled on the last day of the month or the third of the through the fifth of the following month because of things that they have to do in terms of end of month processing and things like that. But they actually build in um, times throughout the day and the month that, that are meant for other types of, of you know, work items and opportunities and things. And then, you know, Daniel, to your other, the other side of that is I think that the employee needs to, you know, kind of take control of that a little bit too, uh, you know, where you can. So I, I purposely build blocks into my day. I mean, a little 15, 30 minute blocks here and there where, you know, I don't show as available. And that's on purpose because it allows me to stand up and just, you know, walk outside of the office in my house and actually go pour myself another cup of coffee or, you know, just break away and decompress for a second. So I think both sides of the coin need to really. Uh, you know, work on that a little bit.
1: Yeah, I mean, I know in my past organizations, we we attempted to do the same: no meeting Fridays, no, uh, you know, IT is not available over the lunch hour, and all of that. And it's great in theory. I, I'll be honest; it's great in theory. It, but it's really hard to execute. And it's even harder to execute. I think when you're an operational leader trying to partner with a shared service leader and saying, "Hey, I have." I have a patient complaint, I have to register this patient, I need to move this meeting, I have to do that. So I really think like, in that regards, it's, it really kind of lends towards to say, okay, how do you as a culture, say these are our founding principles, but these are the things that allow for that flexibility, Um, because some staff members will take that to the extreme. No, I am not available to meet ever over lunch and I'm like I, I'm sorry. I I we have we have an emergency. We have a this, we have a that. So so making sure that those boundaries and guidelines are also met with that. Um you know, Daniel shared like a 50 minute meeting versus a uh and you know, a 60 minute meeting and types of that that's something that I learned early on in my career of like, hey, you need a bio break. You need time to transition between meetings and things of that nature. And even with my current client, I think that they're kind of shocked because they're like, oh, I scheduled a 30-minute meeting. And I was like, I only asked for 25. And can you split it in, in, in either way? Or it's you know a 45-minute meeting versus an hour meeting. Um, and And not having, I mean, my first meeting was like Two hours long, and I'm like, it, "I know, just tell me the reds and what's our action plan, and what do you need for me to support you? I I don't need. I can read a. I can read a PowerPoint. I can read, you know, a slide. I I can read all these reports on my own time. That type of deal. So, I th- I think it's changing that expectation of culture and going from there. So, I have one more question. So. Um, because we are nearing our first break, and uh, I want to help tee us up for our future segment. Um, so, Marcy, can you share what type of culture do you enjoy, and how has that like, and how has the culture impacted your your changes over time? Because you know, we don't get we get a geek out about revenue cycle and IT a lot. We don't get a really geek out about like individuals and what's really driven them to be able to like find that next career path and that next professional home?
2: I'll have to say that like for recruitment, for me, I'm I'm a competitive person, but I'm not a competitive person, if that makes sense. So I need a culture where I'm allowed to be autonomous, where I can set my own schedule, where I can make my own recruitment plan, where I can, you know, go through my own recruitment marketing. I don't like to be micromanaged. I don't like it when somebody says, oh, yeah, that's a good idea, and then they run with it on their own, and then I don't get, you know, any acknowledgement or credit for helping that individual, you know, move to their next place. So in my past positions, when I first started out recruiting, um, doing it remote, it was my really first time to be trained on how to be disciplined. Um, so it sounds great to work remote, like, ooh, I don't have a boss breathing down my shoulder, but you really have to be disciplined. And you kind of have to figure out your culture that you want in your home office, along with the culture that you have in the organization that you're working for. So, you know, I left my last organization because I was kept underneath my manager's thumb. I did have to send every email through her. I did have to go through her for everything. And it really took the fun out of, you know, HR. It took the fun out of recruitment. I lost a little bit of that creativity that, you know, I felt like was, you know, thriving. When I saw the position for the Wilshire Group that was posted, one of the things that caught my eye was if you're creative and you like to think out of the box, that is what drove me to apply for this position and, you know, pray and keep my fingers crossed that I would be the candidate that was selected. Because those are some of the things that make me thrive in my job and help me succeed. Um, One of the things I've done to do the culture for myself is, I act like I go to work every morning and I do go to work every morning, but not the same as going to work every morning. So I'll wake up in the morning and I'll still take my shower. You know, I'll still do my hair. I'll still put on makeup. I will still get dressed just like I'm going to work. I still put on my shoes. I have my shoes on right now. I still wear my jewelry. I do all of that. I get in the car every morning with my favorite bag and I will drive to the coffee shop and I will get my coffee. That's my break room. I see the same people every morning. I get that socialization. I come home when I walk in the door to work, I'm at work, and it, it ends up being a really great day. I schedule a half hour for lunch, and when my day is over, my day is over. So I really enjoy having that flexibility, and I really enjoy building my own culture as well as working with others to build a company culture.
0: She
1: says that her day is over, but I end up calling her. Quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> I forget about time though. <laughs> I, I I would say I'm the exact same way. Like I, every day I get up. I mean, the only difference is we're a no shoes house. So I put on a pair of house shoes, you know, that type of deal. But outside of that, I mean, it is when I'm working from home and not at a client in person, it definitely is. I go to an office, I go close the door, I go take care of that, um, that type of deal. So, all right, well, we are at a time for a quick break and we will be right back.
2: There are thousands of medical offices and facilities across America, each navigating through changing regulations and reimbursement models while striving for positive patient experiences and outcomes. A common element in each of these facilities is patient access, the front line of both the revenue cycle and the patient experience. Though diverse in facility size and geography, patient access professionals unite around a common purpose, enhancing the overall patient experience to increase patient satisfaction and outcomes. Through it all, one organization is there to educate, connect, inform, and pave the way toward the future of patient access. The National Association of Healthcare Access Management recognizes the changing role of patient access professionals and their increased importance.
0: And we're back. All right, Uh, we're gonna head into our debate segment. And in this segment, we talk through industry trends, out of the box ideas and topics that get you thinking.
1: Okay, and team, I know the Wilshire group as a group, we've all been really looking at culture. We've really been looking at where we're headed in the industry and really wanting to make everybody who comes to culture uh, will whether they are full time team members or we're going to be part of our advisory services team. Yay, my team. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, really have that this become part of their professional home whether they're full-time part-time or just even doing some special projects for us here and there um so you know for me that really has started off with um uh, all of our new director roles and other things that have happened and and kind of the founding members but um I really you know think I think from that perspective. This is a great opportunity in the debate to kind of spin us around a little bit and talk about hot industry trends. But let's geek out about like what why Wilshire is great.
2: I'll tell you one of the things I was super impressed with at Wilshire is when I first came on board, I was introduced to this new director program that Wilshire was establishing. Um, And I thought, wow, that's really interesting because I'm a firm believer that employees have to understand what they're doing and why their work matters. And that feeds into the culture that they're helping the business create. So when I heard about these director positions and, you know, the director of advisory services, the director of people and culture, it was, you know, really interesting how those tie into what Wilshire is doing and how Wilshire wants to move forward. But the fact that they didn't go externally, to find individuals to do this, that you know they wanna grow their team, but they didn't grow their team by filling these positions outside of Wilshire. They use the talent that they have within the organization to drive the organization forward, to get it where it wants to go, to be at that number that they wanna be for attracting new employees or for attracting new clients. So to me, that says a lot about Wilshire and how they back up their employees and how they value their employees.
3: I would agree. I think that Wolters has got a lot of different ways that they like to try to incentivize their associates to, you know, help grow the the firm and how we're really kind of moving forward into the new, you know, new healthcare model with everything being virtual and trying to recruit individuals to, to kind of meet the needs of our clients. I also think that, you know, being able to work and cooperate with Marcy and with Evan on different projects like with, you know, just you know, kind of collaborate internally to figure out exactly how we want to, you know, project we image and, and, and really push, you know, different types of advertising schemes out there to help recruit clients back to, or recruit both clients and associates back to us. Uh, and the, the freedom we get in doing that as a new director without having a lot of, um, you know, interference or, or, you know, the thumb on you, like Marcia said earlier from the partners, I think is, is something that you don't always see in an organization. Um, it's, it's a very, freeing feeling in a lot of ways. And I, I, I think that you're going to find that a lot of individuals will thrive under a model like that versus somebody that has to micromanage.
0: I can say I haven't gone a day here at Wilshire where I have been micromanaged and that's, that's pretty unique. Um, yep. like, having the autonomy to like be on a project, be doing your own work. And also like I, I appreciate like a team meetings that we have when we have our monthly staff meeting, Uh, we're asked to present on our work and like talk about it's not like leadership being like here's an executive update on like where our clients are at it's like hey Daniel like tell me about what you've been doing like highlight some of the work that you've been doing I know that recognition has gone a long way as well in the last couple months what is what are your all thoughts on like recognition and like highlighting the work that that we've as employees done
2: Well, I think particularly, especially since we're all remote, you know, we're all across the United States, it's important to recognize the employees, give a little kudos, give a little shout out. Not only does it make the employee feel good, but, you know, it's also a plug for Wilshire as well, you know, to say, hey, this is the employees that Wilshire has, you know, well, we want to use them, you know, to help us with our revenue cycle or, you know, hey, if this is the culture that they have, well, then we want to find out what they're doing because we want to have that culture as well.
1: I think in the recognition, yeah, oh, there we go again, Tim, go for it.
3: <laughs> Your turn, sir.
1: <laughs> I was just going to say, I think recognition across the board, what I really have loved is watching Addie and Marcy, you c- come together and be able to say, Hey, we're going to work with our marketing team and Bella and Ashley and uh, Allison and say, Hey, we're going to l- create these, Creative ideas so that we're recognizing people through LinkedIn. We're, you know, we've had more leaders um, being recognized nationally with awards. Um, we're we're being asked to sponsor things now versus what we have in the past. But I think as just leadership in general, one of the cool things about LinkedIn is you can go and give a recognition to somebody. And I think for For our listeners, that's something that they really should look at is if one of your team members doing a stellar job, don't just recognize them internally to your organization, you can externally recognize them as well, so that they get highlighted and it highlights you and it highlights your organization so it is a little bit of dual marketing like what Marcy was saying. But do that for them, because that's a big win. I mean, if you you have a stellar employee, regardless what position they are in the organization, if they have a LinkedIn profile, recognize them out there for that stellar work that they're doing. And, and it goes a long way for them to get that bigger public national recognition through a platform like that.
3: Quite literally took the words out of my mouth. A lot of organizations get very good at recognizing you know, they're star performers internally, but you don't see a lot of national recognition through social media platforms like LinkedIn or Twitter or Facebook or whatever motive you really want to use. So that that I think is a very uh, unique thing that Wilshire does. And honestly, Wilshire does very well.
0: I also think it, it oh, helps so. brand us a little bit. I mean, like LinkedIn, in my mind, is the primary way that I connect with our community, our network, like healthcare IT as professionals, I use LinkedIn. I know there's other conferences and other groups where uh, folks will get engaged. It's maybe a little bit more like niche is like I'm involved in like healthcare access or I'm involved in revenue cycle. Um, but as like a general community, LinkedIn is where we all go. And so if you're posting like, hey, Evan's doing a great job, like I should recognize you for our podcast because you're doing a fantastic job. No. Um, that like that that is the larger community. Like We're, we're letting that's the place that people want to know or where you should be recognized because that's where people are looking at.
3: The other thing that I'll comment on what Evan said, um, the Wilshire's recent investment in uh, conference sponsorships and what we're doing—that is a direct result of the new directors coming on board and really talking with and working with the partners to, you know, consider investing in those types of opportunities. Not only is it a benefit for the conference and the conference to the people that are going to the conference, it also is a very big benefit for Wilshire because it gets your name out there, um, and and you're able to really start, you know. Having that personal touch, that face-to-face interaction with people at the conference say, you know what, I really like that guy that works for Wilshire Group. I'm going to keep this card and if I ever have something come up, he's going to be somebody that I at least want to reach out to and, and you know, pick his brain on. Uh, so just just having more freedom to do those types of, of, you know, have those types of opportunities and make those types of investments for Wilshire, I think is going to help Wilshire grow to that next level than where they are today.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say, I think regardless of a size of an organization, you have opportunity to do internal and external recognition and you should use all platforms that you can. And many organizations have all social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I mean, I know through the podcast, Daniel and I are like looking up people's organizational handles so that we can tag them and, you know, really get them recognized through as being a guest. I mean, they're taking all of you guys take your time out of your personal time and your personal lives to hop on here and record with us it's not always being recorded during normal business hours so um we're grateful for that i think on the flip side of that regardless of your size of organization that does you i mean we usually don't take that into consideration about how people do things but wilshire does some crazy things that i think do stand us out against some of the bigger organizations out there um, from a consulting perspective, but also just from our culture in general. So Marcy, you know, you've really helped with a lot of this work that we've been doing with Tim, you and Tim have been doing in, in developing a new culture. And, and really, you're the first face of the organization that they see outside of when they go to teams and they see my dropped ice cream cone face. But uh, <laughs> If you don't know what I'm talking about, go out to the Wilshire yes. <laughs> website and check it out but uh, but you know what what are some of the things that you you really think that organizations, regardless of their size but unique to us, make, maybe could adopt that are your best practices that you've implemented in developing like that first touch point with, with somebody um, as they're looking at you know is Wilshire their their new professional home or not?
2: Well, the first and foremost is I can't say this enough communication and being completely transparent. I mean, when I am recruiting for candidates, when I send them a cold call email, it's something that's enticing to them. It's friendly, it's open, it's approachable, um, which, you know, the candidate will reach out. If it's not a position that they're interested in, I will get a referral out of it or they'll send me, you know, to, hey, you know, check this out, possibly, you know, over here, you might be able to find a candidate or sometimes I hear of new platforms that, you know, individuals are using, hey, try this platform, but definitely being that um, communicative, transparent, and then keeping engaged. It's very important when you talk to a candidate regardless of the size of your organization, you have to stay engaged. You know, if you're a recruitment department of one, or if you've got a recruitment department of 20, everybody in that department should be keeping your candidates engaged, and there should be follow-up, and there should be communication. There's no reason why someone should be ghosted. If you're, organiz- if you're organized, and if you have a good structure and a good process, there should be nobody that's left behind everybody should be able to find out, hey, I'm not the right fit for this position or they're going to keep me in mind for another position or this is the reason why I wasn't selected. Um, Just those types of things. And even if a position is say for budget reasons or something, you know, it's not gonna be filled. You should still be reaching out to those candidates, especially if you had a conversation with them, they deserve a conversation back, not just an email. So those types of things make a difference on the reputation of your organization. And it also speaks to the culture of your organization because if you're going to ghost somebody that's a candidate or not communicate with them, or if you are going to string them along, they're going to view it as that's what you're going to do to me as an employee as well.
1: Yeah. I think that's one thing that you have taught Tim and I. So and ingrained in us when we are doing, you know, for listeners, how it works is Marcy interviews, everybody, then they come to Tim and I for if after we've reviewed their, their candidacy and said, yep. Okay. We, we feel like we should move forward with interviewing them, see if they're the right cultural fit from Tim's perspective. And then I, I'm looking really at the, you know, talent and and that component saying, you know, do you have the right skill sets for our different positions or our client needs? And, and what we really realized early on in our first interviews is Marcy would always come back and be like, Hey, I need to tell them why we're not picking them or what do they need to do better on? And it changed our mindset. I would say, right, Tim, like now we're even like, Hey, let's schedule a one-on-one. Where you're not right fit for us, but let's schedule a one-on-one and rework your resume. Or let's talk about where um, you might have growth opportunity. Or hey, Marcy, help. Can you help find them this type of role? This is their next career growth, not us. That type of deal. So um, I think I, I I know it's changed my perspective in how I even interview or how how I have a conversation with someone.
3: We've literally done every every one of those things that you actually just mentioned there, Evan like I, I recall one conversation. I had a second call with a candidate uh, who was an, honestly a great interview she She answered a lot of the questions, very energetic, but there were just things missing on her resume that we know that our clients are going to look for when considering a consultant coming on board. Um, so we got back out there and said, "You know what? we're actually very interested, but we need you to go out and find this experience and then come back. Uh, But having that ability and and having that touch point with candidates is very unique, I think, in a lot of ways. Not a lot of organizations will go that extra step. Um, But I think that also helps develop a bit of, you know, indirect commitment back to this organization. So we're kind of, in a way, investing in our future um, that a lot of other organizations may not be investing in themselves that way. Do
0: you find that uh, I'm disconnected from the recruiting realm here, but do you find that candidates engage better with this type of approach or have you not, have you not seen a change in the candidate reactions? Oh
2: yeah, definitely. Seen, uh, yeah. an
3: improvement, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And I, I come from a, a background where, where I am very, very passionate about mentorship and growth and, and helping individuals kind of get to the next step in their career. Um, my career personally, I didn't have a lot of that at first, I kind of had to make my own path and there were things that i learned the hard way over that for that time period so if i can go go out and help somebody kind of skip over those things that quite frankly they don't need to go through all the better so if i'm able to continue to do uh, quite frankly what i love to do is which is help mentor and grow individuals to do it in a bit of a different way i'm all for it yeah
1: and 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 Daniel, a little different spin on that. Like Tim and I've had, uh, not disagreements, but we've seen a candidate from a different viewpoint. Right. And, and I notice nerves. He sees it as a a, potentially could have seen it as some inexperience. I go and have a secondary call with them. I'm like, Marcy, can you tee up another call? And she's like, huh? And I was like, something's there. Right. Like just something was there. And and come back and they're geeking out now because they're they've shook off those nerves and now they're like geeking out over what they're doing and they're loving it and we've actually picked up several of those individuals now as part of our advisory pool and they're doing they're doing stellar on their and their hidden projects and stuff that they're doing for us so it it we've seen some great success and just you know as leaders saying wait I'm I'm responsible for interviewing this person and I'm responsible for anybody who I interact with mentorship. It's not only about my own personal growth, but it's about the organizational growth and and saying, you're not the right fit for this, but you might be in the future. So so stay connected. I I, th- I think there's only two people out of the hundreds that we've interviewed that we were like, no, we don't want to stay connected with this person. Like, and and I think that I think that says a lot for just what our managing partners have instilled in us and saying, hey, we really want the best of the best, brightest talent. But at the same time, we want to help people grow and, and develop. And and speaking of culture, that's why I'm here. I, I I wanted to work for Gretchen. I wanted to work with Gretchen and Hank Not For, actually, um, and, and be able to partner and develop things and and do stuff. And, and they've been a mentor of mine. I was a former client and they mentored me for 10 years. So, I mean, that really for me was like, hey, this this was a right fit. For where I was at in my career at that point in time.
3: Well, Evan, if I could throw a shameless plug in that the high success rate we've had with, you know, the quality of candidates and the the ones we wanted to stay connected with, that's a direct result of the quality of recruiter that we have. So, I mean, Marcy, very much kudos to you in terms of how you're bringing candidates into the organization.
1: And the different chain. I mean, the different ways you're bringing them in. Not just LinkedIn, not just like you know, out on the job boards and things of that nature. But you know, still going to old job fairs and doing in the old school way of doing it, but also the new school way and making sure that we have a healthy balance. I mean, we've seen some great talent come through um, that we would have loved to have, but it just wasn't the right fit at that point in time and for us or for their career. All right, on that note, we got to take a quick break. We will be right back, everybody,
3: and see you soon. Claim Capital is a team of ex-Epic staff focused on preventing denials. Instead of showing what was denied, which is the standard for other solutions available today, Claim Capital pinpoints why claims are denied. By training machine learning models on an organization's claim and remittance data, Claim Capital can identify the causes of denials and recommend changes in EHR build or workflows to prevent them from happening in the future. With a completely HIPAA-compliant infrastructure, no software implementations, and a zero-risk pricing structure, organizations can quickly and safely recover lost
0: revenue. And we're back! All right. I got another question for us. Thinking about culture at Wilshire, why people want to work here. Something that's been really cool for me since I've started, I realize I haven't been able to partake in it, but we have company retreats, which I think is such a unique way because everybody's remote. I think we mentioned everyone's across America and yet twice a year folks are able to come together. I wasn't able to go. My flight got canceled. I had a wedding. I think I have good excuses for why I wasn't there, but I did get to participate one time with Evan on our Shark Tank idea on creating a podcast. And I, I, I think it's such a cool way that the Wilshire Group gets people involved, gets people together uh, as employees. Is that something that you've all seen elsewhere or is this like a unique experience for you all as well?
2: I don't think more seen it.
3: unique than-
2: yep. Go ahead, Marcia. No, I was just gonna say, I've only like experienced this one other time. And it was, you know, when I first started working for a staffing agency, um we all went remote eventually. And then we started having retreats in Chicago. So, you know, I'm a big city lover kind of girl. So anytime I get the opportunity to go out of Indiana to a big city, I'm super excited. So when we had our last retreat with the Wilshire group in LA, whew, I was so happy. It was like going to the mothership. So yes, I do I do find it is like, you know, a really unique thing that Wilshire still does that. And they plan on continuing to do that even as we grow.
3: Yeah, that I don't see a lot of other organizations, you know, at for all levels of the company. Now, you know, given Wilshire is not a huge company, but for all levels of the company, you're able to go out twice a year, and they're willing to spend the the money and the investment to get everybody together and have again that face-to-face interaction and satisfy somewhat of that need. Um, we, we're all over the country. I, you know, Marcy's in Indiana. I'm in Texas. Evan, you're in uh, Oregon. So, I mean, we're literally all of the country and I I feel like I've made, um, more friends and have better relationships with the people that I work with here, um, than in pretty much any of my other positions in my entire career today. Uh, and that's, that's really saying something about Wilshire, um, especially since they're a remote organization.
1: Yeah. I think, I think our culture is so unique that we all text, some of, we all have different group text chains. We, we share each other's phone numbers. We share life experiences with each other. I mean, I know Marcy, if I find the Chanel shoe for her, I need to send it. (laughs) I mean, I mean, we've all been able to really just like collaborate. And, you know, I think Daniel, I I think you skip them because Patty keeps wanting to do a photo shoot of the two of us for the podcast. So (laughs) You just play it around that uh, around them. But, but all kidding aside like the the one unique thing i think about our retreats is everybody sees a retreat and they're like oh it's all business and it's all this but part of part of what our culture really here has been is yes we're in meetings for a day and a half all day but there's time there's built in time for the team to go do a large dinner go golfing. I mean, Tim and I, and, uh, Jen and Freeman and Matt all went and did golf one day Why Marcy and Patty, Elizabeth all went and hit Rodeo drive with Carol, you know? Um, and then we got together and like the dinner is not just like, Hey, you're at a dinner and you're all sitting around a table. I mean, we were playing cornhole. We were doing activities and people were moving around the table to sit next to each other. Um, you know, in LA, Marcy got to see some celebrities that she would never get to see elsewhere. <laughs> so I made mean, it, it definitely is a totally different environment and culture. And I, even when we met in Denver, we went and did um, different activities outside and, and got to go to Matt's house and and he hosted a happy hour and that type of deal. So everybody really, it, it, it really is like a professional home. It's not, I mean, it, it, I think Tim and I talk more through chat than we do uh, about non-work stuff than we do sometimes about work. Um, in that regard, so you are correct. <laughs> it, it is it is nice to have that atmosphere. Well, I'm going to transition us. Normally, we um, it, it's time for our Wilshire Lab, actually. So, um, it, and we are nearing uh, the end of the road. So, Daniel.
0: Yeah. So. To last episode, uh, and we're not going to have the questions today, but as a listener and you want to submit a question, please reach out to us at Wilshire Podcast at thewilshiregroup.net for next season. We'll be happy to answer your questions there. Get excited. Uh, and if you have questions that can help sort of direct our agenda or our podcast topics, please, please go ahead and submit those. Uh, but just to wrap up today, thank you so much for joining. Tim, you've been a longtime sponsor, supporter, and attendee of our of our podcast here. And Marcy, first time, thanks for joining us. How can folks reach out to you? How do you prefer folks to connect with you, whether it's social media or otherwise? I'll start with you, Marcy.
2: So individuals can connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, they can also email me at m.carlton at the Wilshire group.com. I'm not going to give out my cell phone over this, but you know, when you email me, you'll have my cell phone and you can reach out to me that way as well.
3: Yep. I'm also on LinkedIn. Uh, You know, Tim Holland is how I'm listed there. And then uh, uh, email is t.holland at group.net.
1: All right. Well, thank you both again for coming on and everybody. That's it for us today. We'll see you in season two and sometime in January. Bye-bye.
0: If you like today's episode, continue to join Wilshire Wednesdays. You can
1: follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter at Evan underscore Wilshire. Daniel can be followed at Daniel underscore TWG. Wilshire Group at TWG Health. On Facebook at the
0: Wilshire Group. Or on Instagram at Wilshire IT Revcast. Remember, if you prefer to watch, come check us out at the Wilshire IT Revcast YouTube channel.
1: If you have an inquiry, want to share your thoughts, or get additional information on today's episode, email us at
0: Podcast at thewilshiregroup.com. The best way to support this podcast is to review, rate, and subscribe. See you next time. Bye-bye. The Wilshire IT Revcast is hosted,
3: produced, and engineered by Evan Martin and Daniel Bianchini. It is executive produced by Gretchen Case, Hank Smither, and Spencer Thielman. The Wilshire Group. Experience you can
1: trust. Results you can count on.